Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Avi Kravitz. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Avi Kravitz, and this is our final episode of the year, and it's an opportune time to look back at some of the major stories and trends that shaped the diamond and jewelry industry in 2022. I couldn't think of two better people to discuss the year that was than Rappaport's news editor, Joshua Friedman, and our senior reporter, Leah Merovich. Having ridden the roller coaster of year that it was through their writing, we relive some of the memorable moments, standout stories, and outstanding performers that helped define the year. Some of those are obvious, and others you'll find surprising. And we also look ahead at what might be in 2023. There's a little bit of something for everyone in this episode. So thank you for joining us and please enjoy our discussion. Hello, Joshua and Leah. It's so great to see you. And can you believe it? It's our final podcast episode of the year. And it just feels like yesterday that we were talking about our dreams and aspirations for 2022. Joshua, how are you and how have those dreams come true? I'm very well, thanks. Good to be here, Avi. I'm trying to wrap my brains back to a year ago to remember what my dreams and aspirations were you reminded me before this that i had some sort of aspiration to get a shower rail i think that that was that was achieved and i have a shower rail and you achieved it you've got a lot to be proud of joshua but really i think 2022 has turned out to be very different for all of us from what we expected lots of things going on in the world which i'm sure we'll discuss later on in this podcast absolutely it was i think above all a surprising year in terms of how the market turned out how world economics and geopolitics evolved and so we do have a lot to discuss in this episode as we reflect on the year that was um leah it's great to have you on the podcast i think this is your debut um, and uh, so welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And I'm not sure how I will ever beat Joshua's shower rail story, but I do have a shower rail of my own. So, Well, let's say that you were one step ahead of Joshua then, because I have a feeling you've had it for, for longer than he has. Um, but it's great to have you, Leah. You've been with Rapport for many years already. I think it's five years, is it? Just hit my fifth year anniversary, actually. Fifth year. Oh, amazing. Okay, so that's a milestone that we met and achieved in 2022. I think we all reached some a few milestones during the year. And um, it's been an odd year for me. It seemed during COVID and then coming out of COVID, each was a different dynamic. And now sort of this, in air quotes, you know, I hate the term, but back to normal or the new normal that we have um, sort of post-COVID, although there are parts of, you know, we, we are still um, dealing with the pandemic as it stands today, but it's been a, another year of adjustment, I think. And, and I think it's, um, we were also exhausted through the ups and downs of 2020 and 2021, that this year seemed sort of just be about plodding along from our point of view, both personally and, and professionally. Um, Leah, how would you describe your experience um, on a, you know, either personal or professional level? Um, you know, looking at the industry for over the past year? Well, actually, on a professional level, I think my experience has changed quite a bit. You know, I've done so much more than just write news. So I look at stories from different angles. I've done commission briefs for other writers. So I'm looking beyond just what how the story comes out to how the story originates and what types of things are good to look at in terms of a story. And I posted a whole supplement myself, which was interesting. So I feel like I've actually achieved a lot this last year. I would agree. And I think it just shows tremendous growth. And, and I guess jumping ahead to our final segment of the podcast, where we were going to discuss our hopes and expectations for 2023. 
think that's that's a good place to start at least that you should continue to grow as you have and um, I think you, you've covered some really interesting stories which um, a few of them I think that will stand out in our discussion today. Joshua, how, what about from your, your perspective? I went to my first JCK Las Vegas show which was an experience and it was really I guess it was everything that people had described to me. It was um, a whole industry in one place. It was a little curtailed for me because I caught COVID. So I actually missed most of the show, but still was able to soak up the atmosphere uh, for the limited time I was there. Well, firstly, it, it is an overwhelming and exciting experience to go to the Vegas shows um, for the first time, each time actually, especially for the first time. So I'm so glad that you had that opportunity this past year. And I think that's, uh, it's kind of indicative of many people's experiences across the industry that there was, you know, we did go back to the normal calendar of events in terms of the trade shows that took place, um, barring, I think, the Hong Kong show and events in the Far East. But certainly elsewhere, there was that return to routine in a way, which I think was a matter of relief, at least for many people. So uh, you're talking about Vegas kind of reminds me um, or brings to mind that um, I actually had a bit of an odd year in terms of travel. There, that it was a year of coming back to travel and the travel industry sort of really took off again, excuse the pun. But I was supposed to go to Dubai to the Diamond Conference in Dubai at the beginning of the year and I caught COVID, so I had to cancel that. I was supposed to go to Vegas and I didn't get my visa in time, so I canceled that. On a personal travel excursion, I missed my flight, which has never happened to me. So I had to delay and postpone that visit. And so it was kind of traumatic, at least in terms of my travel, whereas everyone else was taking off um, again. But, you know, before we get to reviewing and, and picking out some of our favorite stories or, or trends that we noticed during the year, we are in the middle of the peak season, or it's coming, coming now to, as we record, sort of the end of the peak season. And we are getting some indication now of how things are panning out for the industry over the holiday season. So Leah, I'll start with you because I think you, you've been kind of had your finger on the pulse in terms of the retail market, certainly over this period. What do we know about the retail season so far? Well, actually, I have. I've spoken to a bunch of jewelers, and I think what says the most is actually who I haven't spoken to. Because many of the people I called were actually too busy with customers to speak to me, which I think bodes well for the industry this year. But in general, jewelry sales seem to be doing pretty well. I know a lot of people said that October and November were relatively slow for them. But since the start of December, it's been booming and they basically can't take a breath. So, um, you know, they're looking at hopefully exceeding or at least meeting the sales that they had last year when. As we know, luxury took, had a big boom because of COVID. So I think we're going to see a good season, actually. And the National Retail Federation and MasterCard are also both predicting that we're going to see really strong holiday sales. And I think the sort of underlying feeling is that if we can match 2021, or even if we're slightly below 2021, it's okay because it was such an anomaly of a year, you know, with the recovery year after COVID. Um, Joshua, in our discussions and I think in previous podcasts as well, we sort of noted that people are talking about earlier shopping going on in many jewelers are counting October as part of their holiday sales already. And so did, is that something that's, that's taken effect in hindsight now? What are, what are you picking up in terms of some of those sort of ebbs and flows of the, of the retail market? I think a mixture of things. I mean, a lot of people are saying that true that the holiday season has started earlier, but also it's taken a bit of a while to get traction and that um, people are hoping that there'll be a, 
an acceleration in the last you know the last couple of weeks of the spending season in uh, in December. So I think there's been a, a bit of a, a mixture of trends there. But what have you seen on, in, that, in that regard? As I said before, I, I've seen something similar where they're saying October and November were slower and that they were concerned about the season this year. But since the start of December, they have more than made up for you know, the slowness that they saw in the first two months and that most of them seem on track to do almost as well, if not as well as last year. I think the one thing that we can take maybe comfort from is that it takes all types of people and probably every household has a different type of person in it. You know, the early shopper, the last minute rusher. I'm definitely an, a last minute type of person running out in a panic when I need to buy a gift for someone. I don't know where you guys fit into that spectrum. Yeah, I'm definitely the early. Sh- I figured I was going to, I didn't want to speculate. I'm too nervous to wait until the last minute. You're probably telling me, reminding me, I should probably buy more gifts than I do. Your answer was telling because I think you're an overthinker. So you probably have in mind what you want to buy, but maybe leave it to uh, relatively late before actually making the purchase. Maybe, maybe. I'll, I'll Next time that happens, I'll pay closer attention to my behavior. Anyway, my, my point is that I think there'll always be, there will always be the last minute rush. And I think we've had that this year. It seems from the sentiment that I'm picking up in, in both the retail and the wholesale market that there has been that little sort of push to to um, get business done in the final weeks or uh, before the holiday. Hello, we were discussing before we, we started that there have been certain sort of jewelry trends that have taken shape in the market. And I would imagine that that's carried through to the holiday season. I'm, you know, continuing those uh, those sort of design and jewelry trends that we've noted in in 2022. Do you want to talk us through some of those that you've observed throughout the year and assuming that they've continued in this period? Sure. Well, in terms of diamonds and engagement rings, I think it's actually gone from a very, I don't want to say ostentatious, but sort of the more is better, like the twine wa rings that have two or three stones or the halo setting where you're having, you know, smaller stones around the bigger stone to make it appear even larger to a more pared back and classic look. I've heard solitaires are very in, even on a plain gold band, you know, no melee in the band, anything like that. People are going back to classics, but they're doing it a little bit different. So they're wearing things in a new way. So the stone might be a solitaire, but it's elongated instead of just a regular where they're going for an oval or a pair instead of a round, although they're still going for rounds as well. And in terms of jewelry, that's non-engagement. I've seen similar things I've heard from jewelers also going back to classics, but with a different look like pearls instead of a choker. Now, chunky pearls or layered pearl necklaces where you have a few strands on top of each other, or even being worn down the back with like a top that has a low cut back and being worn as a back necklace instead of facing the front. You know, there's been a lot of talk from many jewelers about the infinity bracelets or the permanent bracelets where you actually get it soldered onto your arm. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want anyone near my arm with any kind of fire soldering iron, whatever it's called. But yeah, it's the new way to say I love you forever. Yeah, Leah, I, I would agree with you. I, I don't want anything that sort near me. Um, but it sounds like it's a new type of tattoo that uh, <laughs> that, that that people are, are are using. Either way, it's forever, and that's uh, that's keeping the diamond theme, I guess. Except it's not really quite forever, is it? You can always get it uh, cut off, but 
Yeah, well, I mean, going back to what you mentioned before that uh, regarding pearls, um, it seems that pearls had a had a big um, had a had a moment in 2022, um, even in men's jewelry that you kind of saw men on the red carpet in you know in style magazines experimenting with pearl necklaces, and it seems that the pearl market may have had some sort of a push from that. Yeah, pearls are quite popular with men now. Um, I did a story on it, believe it or not, Harry Styles, who is a singer, used to be with One Direction, is one of the big proponents of pearls. And he's seen quite often wearing pearl earrings or chokers. In Asian culture, a lot of the K-pop and the Chinese models are dressed wearing pearls. It's uh, actually had a big resurgence this year. And Joshua, moving more towards diamond market-related developments, what was the standout trend or story maybe that set the trend that you picked up during the year? I mean, the main thing was the impact of the war in Russia, the war in Ukraine, which had all sorts of effects on the diamond market. The main one being either, it wasn't always clear whether it was a, a whether it was reduced diamond supply or perceived reduced diamond supply, but at various points of the year, there were complaints that people did not, did not have enough diamonds. The Russian, you know, our roses mined in Russia are important sources of certain fancy, rough for certain fancy shapes, and also a lot of small diamonds. Um, just in the last couple of months, we've seen a big kind of strengthening of the market for very small diamonds, so after, under about 30 pointers, and that was partly influenced by the lack of those goods coming out of Russia. There's been all these kind of subplots going on with this. Have diamonds been entering India kind of through back alleys from Russia, despite the fact that there are certain countries have sanctions on Russian diamonds, kind of also plays into this question of traceability and how easy is it to trace the origin of these diamonds. That Supposedly, there are a lot of Indian manufacturers that split their factories or, or split their sorting, their, kind of their diamond handling offices and had you know, a, a section of their offices that was Russian diamonds and a section of their offices that was uh, non-Russian diamonds. But these have all had impacts on the market. And one big beneficiary of this really has been De Beers, which obviously is the other major, aside from our roads, the other major supplier of rough diamonds, has really seen very strong sales throughout most of the year, which would seem to be a result of fairly strong demand alongside the shortage of diamonds coming out of Russia. Yeah, I mean, when we look back on 2022, you cannot avoid starting, I think, with the war in, you know, the Russian, Russia-Ukraine conflict and for the diamond industry, the impact that that had on the market. And I think when we look at the supply-demand dynamic, as, as we tend to like to discuss, I think it didn't play out in the way that we expected, that there would be these widespread shortages because the Russian goods were coming off the market. Those were the predictions that we made. But actually, we... we We've um, seen that in the midstream, the polished inventory levels are quite high. But I think, as you mentioned, it's those pockets of, of supply that um, where El Rosa is really a dominant player, such as the, the smaller goods, where they started to emerge a shortage, and that's having an effect on pricing, on the supply at retail, etc. But it wasn't as immediate as we expected. The market takes time to play out. And I actually think I would rather highlight that second point that you made about the source verification aspect of it, because I think the conflict and the sanctions that were put on El Rosa by the United States really sort of fast-tracked the industry's um, intention to provide source verification or require source verification, certainly from the big brands and certainly the more established jewelers in the United States who didn't want to um, 
uh, who who at least wanted to put that sort of let's say uh, how would you how would we describe it if it's if there's a legal loophole in the actual sanctions to put those their own personal sanctions on use on supplying Russia source diamonds so. I think that was surely the standout story um, of the year, and that had a ripple effect. We saw, you know, the GRA reintroduce its source verification service, Sarin fast traceability program, and there were a number of new service providers that also came on board. And I think um, across the board, it really influenced companies on various levels to fine tune their their supply channels so that they can make hone into that sentiment. Leah, what about you within the markets? What was the sort of standout trend that you picked up on? Uh, I noticed that there has been a lot of vertically integrated agreements, you know, miners working with manufacturers to sell their rough directly into a partnership and to get a bit of the polished proceeds on that. We've seen it from Lucara with HB Antwerp and Lucapa with Sefdika and a few others. Yeah, particularly on the bigger stones, I think that was a standout, a standout story. And I think it again, it's kind of plays into the source verification story as well. But I think it's also more about bringing efficiency to the rough markets, um, right, Joshua? And I think it was, it, it sort of spread on a on a wider scale as well. We know De Beers changed its uh, sort of tweaked its supply to, in how it relates to site holders as well, and that was kind of also within that efficiency drive. You're referring to the. A new site holder arrangement where De Beers gives the customers a more bespoke, more focused range of goods. Yeah, I mean, we know we've De, De Beers for a good year or two have been talking about making their just trying to shorten that pipeline and trying to sh- shorten the distance from the mine to final consumer. And I guess all of this somehow played in played in together, making the journey of a diamond more efficient and more transparent. And more traceable. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would agree. Um, I must say, when we look back at the year, and I think this has been more of a trend uh, over the last two or three years, but again, we kind of saw it accelerated in 22. It again plays into the source verification story. But for me, there was there has been this, this sort of gradual evolution of messaging within the industry towards a sensitivity about surrounding environmental issues. And, you know, we've seen De Beers um, adopt environmental issues as a central theme in its marketing, in its PR messaging for the last year or two. And um, certainly I think since COVID, maybe it's it's probably a, a COVID-driven thing, this, because I think people did become more sensitive to the environment and, and, and such issues during that period. But Again, this year, we've seen that messaging take a wider adoption through the industry. The GIA deciding to go paperless is a good example. And they use that environmental message to explain why they're doing that. And I think that's an example of a story that has that implication, but is going to have a wider impact on the market. If you think about how central those GIA reports are physically, the role that they play physically in the industry, that's all going to at some point gradually be reduced is, I think, significant for the industry. Yeah, we're getting frequent emails in our press releases and our inboxes from Tiffany from Pandora about their various environmental pledges. So uh, I agree with you about that, that trend, Abby. 
So yeah, I think in five years time, we, we will probably be operating in an industry that looks very different. I, I expect it to be a much more friendly and sustainably conscious industry and um, a more efficient industry. And I think maybe we'll look back at this year and also 21 and 20 in COVID where probably many of these trends really started and say, you know, that's, that's, this is the root of that. And uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to watch those developments. Before we get to our expectations for 2023, and I think we'll probably have a, a separate podcast on, on looking at the year ahead in, in a more in-depth way, I thought it would be a fun idea and interesting for our listeners to go through some of our top stories that we covered in 2022. So Joshua, we like to put out these lists at this time of year and and. When you look at the most read stories on our platforms, and, and maybe it's worth just pausing to mention that for Rapport this year was a milestone year for our information services division because we moved from the diamonds.net platform that had been our look and feel for so long and launched our new newly designed website, rapport.com. But looking across both platforms, what were the most read stories in for 2022? And what are some of the trends that you pick out of those in terms of what our listeners are interested in? Sure. So the most read story, I'm going to share the, the first three. Um, the most read story of the year so far, as of late December, was actually a story that Leia wrote about some blue diamonds, the De Beers collection of blue diamonds that went out for auction at Sotheby's and did not sell. That was actually by quite a long way the most read story of this year. It's actually, it's been a very interesting year. They can talk about this in more depth, but it's been a very interesting year for auctions. There have been some record diamonds. There have been some big kind of high-profile diamonds that failed to sell, uh, these being some of them. On our website, on rapperport.com, these stories are always accompanied by nice pictures of said diamonds. So uh, I think that's one of the reasons why people like these ones so much. The second most rest story of 2022 was in fact about the rough market. There was a story from the first first quarter of the year about the Bain Diamond report that predicted shortage of rough in the market would continue for another decade. I think this is this is really something that interests people because the supply outlook for the diamond industry is a key factor in the future success of the industry because this it, it, a, a lack of diamond support prices of diamonds. And this is definitely something that people are interested in. And then the third most read story of the year was actually, so this is something that we do occasionally and can be very interesting to readers, is kind of a story that was taking the pulse of the market at the time. It was in March, um, uh, that a story on the state of the rough market straight after the Russian sanctions. There was a big, uh, well, quite a significant slowdown in the market around March, April. And this was partly influenced by the sanctions and the geopolitical uncertainty at the time, but also a few other market factors going on. And the story that we wrote then was about specifically about the drop in rough prices at the time. It was now the third most rest story of this year. And I mean, look, looking at that that list of top stories, there, there definitely are those a mixture of those trends that we picked out of. I mean, I think generally our readers, when they see a story with rough prices, um, you know, choose your choose your direction, dropped or or rose, um, or specifically the beers raises or, or cuts prices, that generally generates um, a lot of interest. But looking at our top ten, we see those trends: the Russian the Russian um, invasion and and its impact on the market has has uh, holds a few places in I think three places in the top ten. There's the a story that I wrote, which was one of my favorite stories that I covered for the year, the Diamond Origin Dilemma was another, um, again, going into that um, source verification story. And then, as you mentioned, the 
the big stones and the color diamonds always generate a lot of interest in people. And Leo, I think we saw that on social media when we look at our analytics about the top hosts that generated the most likes or most shared. It seems that those stories were, were top of the pops. Yeah, you know, people like to look at big color diamonds. They're pretty, they uh, make in a lot of money, but it didn't matter which platform, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, they all, there was a little variation, but they were all pretty much the same. You know, the 303 carat golden canary or the fortune pink, you know, any of those big colored diamonds seem to be well up there in the top 10 on the social media as well. Mm, it's almost unanimous. It's quite interesting. I think it's because they have such a visual aspect um, to them and who doesn't love the look of those singly colorful and beautiful stones. So we feel the hype around those auctions when those big and colorful, beautiful stones come to market. And um, before we get to our expectations, again, I'd ask you guys, what was your favorite story that you worked on or your favorite event that you attended um, or favorite moment in the, in the industry over the last year? Uh, well, I might sound a bit repetitive here, but we're going to talk about a big pink diamond again. One of the stories that I wrote recently actually was there was a $35 million pink diamond that was withdrawn from a Christie's auction and nobody knew why. It just disappeared. I was looking for it. I didn't see it. I didn't know what happened to it. And I asked them, I thought maybe something was wrong with the website, but no, it was withdrawn. And there was really no more to it until all of a sudden it came out that the stone was stolen. For me, this is, I love these crime thriller type things. And you couldn't get better than that because real life sometimes is better than a movie. And um, apparently a wealthy businessman in Qatar's employee, longtime employee thought that there was bad vibes around his jewelry and took some of it and sent it to a spiritual healer on an online psychic platform in America to be cleansed. And let's just say it ended up at a Christie's auction, not of the businessman's approval. I found that one really interesting. It had everything, that story. Yeah, it did. Drama, intrigue. I loved it. And we were so excited that firstly, that Leia, you uncovered the initial story that, um, that the, the stone was withdrawn from auction. So we were as a team very proud of that. But then the drama that, that unfolded about the, what happened to the stone was just, um, just fantastic. Um, it's, a, it's a movie in the making for sure. But Joshua, were there any standouts for you during the year? Yeah, there's a piece I enjoyed working on about a collection of jewellery that Van Cleef produced, originating from a 910 carat diamond. So the Lesotho legend, which was bought in the rough for $40 million in 2018, was then uh, manufactured by two companies in, in Antwerp, Cachet and Samir Gems, who uh, often work together on big stones, and they agreed to a and a partnership deal with Van Cleef and took them a long time to, to produce it. And also they, they held off marketing it because they bought it. The launch would have been just during COVID, which was not, was not a good time to start launching new stuff. And earlier this year, they finally revealed all the diamonds that came from it. It was 67 D flawless diamonds, 25 different jewels. And I was lucky enough to interview Taché and, and Samia Gems with their respective executives to hear about the story of how they produced this diamond and a few interesting points there they you know they, they could have they could have made some much bigger stones out of it but they decided to go for higher color and clarity rather than size so actually the biggest stone was only um, i think about 30 carats 
and they mentioned one anecdote that where they actually had a 75 carat diamond that they could have marketed as one diamond they actually cut it up into two 30 carat diamonds and they also provided us with some excellent images which kind of made the whole gave the, the story and added punch and wonderful pictures of the manufacturers examining the, the rough stone and all these pen marks over it so i i definitely enjoyed covering that it was great and it's always fun and interesting to watch that journey even if it's or, or watch the progression of that journey um particularly through through the images but um it was a it was a nice story to read as well um joshua i'll give you my favorite thing that we did i think in 2022 as a team we went to the offices of Escher gemstar who had bought the Chimpambele emerald. I want to get my facts right here, so I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up. It was an emerald rough of 7,525 carats. And initially, Joshua, you and I went to, went to see it. And firstly, the, the nerves with which you handled that piece of rough emerald was worth, a, worth the picture and the visit in itself. But then we visited as our editorial team, we went to, to their offices and um, Avram Eshed, the chairman of Eshed, James Stein and his team were really very hospitable and explained a bit about their business and gave us a bit of insight into the emerald market. And we all got to, um, got to, to view, touch and feel this historic stone, really. And Vanina, our, our producer, made a great video on, on social media. We didn't cover that on, on diamonds.net at the time and, um, or, or at board.com, but it was a story that we, we focused on social media and it really got a lot of great feedback. And for us, I think when, when we write about these big stones and um, there's nothing like um, seeing them firsthand. And, uh, and I think, you know, Josh, you, you speak about watching the evolution of these diamonds, but this emerald is something that we kept probing them to, to tell us what they have installed and what, what they have planned for the Chimpembele. And for obvious reasons, were, were coy and uh, not willing to, to divulge, but they did say they were looking at various options. And so... Maybe it's worth in 2023 doing a follow-up visit with, with Avram and his, and his team to see what is becoming of that amazing emerald stone. So we'll just wrap up with a quick sort of uh, quick round, a rapid fire round of what we are hoping for or expecting for 2023. If there's anything that you are really keeping your eye on that sort of evolved this year and, and might move into to next year, or whatever you're feeling, or if you have any personal hopes and dreams, as, as we said, if you want to give your New Year's resolutions, we'll hold, them to, hold you to them when we do our podcast a year from now. I'll start with you, Leah. Is there anything you want to share that, um, that you're looking forward to in, in 23? Um, well, I'm hoping and expecting that there's going to be further transparency in the diamond and jewelry industry. Um, I know that that's what customers have been asking for, and I hope that it's going to help jewelry and luxury continue on the upward trajectory that it's on now. And I'm also hoping that there is some kind of a peace conference between LabGrown and Natural Diamonds where each one can sort of, you know, tout their own benefits without necessarily slinging mud at the other. And yeah, and I just add, I also... Maybe I'll, I'll hope to get a new shower rail as well. Shower rail. <laughs> okay, keep us posted. Um, what about for you, Joshua? What's, what, is, what's, um, what are you keeping your eye on? Well, firstly, let me, let me correct myself. The largest stone in that Van Cleef collection was actually 79.35 carats, not 30 carats, but still not the 100, 200, 300 carat stone that they could have uh, 
made from the 900 carat rough. Um, I um, I actually, I, I hope for more arguments between the lab grown and the natural industry because it gives us a lot of stuff to write about. That's great. Absolutely. It gives us, it gives us storylines. And lots of, lots more dramatic developments uh, that, uh, that we can cover. And uh, I also hope to go to some trade shows and not, uh, not have to leave halfway through. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, I, I think there there are a few storylines that I, that I'm definitely keeping an eye on. Um, you know, there's the the negotiations between the Beers and the Botswana government that's sort of outstanding, and um, they've extended it for a year, which would take us to the end of it is a year, right, Joshua? Uh, yeah, it's all currently till uh, the end of June, 2023. End of June. Okay, so so that's a storyline that usually has an impact on the market, and so I'm I'm looking out for that. But I, I think there is the, it's a little dry and boring, but there's the market stuff, this economic uncertainty that we experienced in 22 that we didn't mention before, but certainly had its, uh, had its effect on the diamond trade. And so whether that will continue or not. And then on a personal level, I, I think 2023 is going to be a really a year of connection. And, and that's what I'm hoping for, at least from a personal point of view, that we as a from our own personal point of view and as an industry as a whole, the more we can sort of deepen our our connections with each other and our networking, I think this next year is going to be all about that. So that's my hope, my expectation, and my dream for the industry. So with that, we will finish this episode. Thank you so much, Leia, for making your debut and the first of many more, I, I expect and hope. Certainly another hope for 2023. Thanks so much. Thank you. It was great to be here. And Joshua, old hat at this, um, this trick. Thank you for joining us and for your insights as always. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you there. And thank you everyone for listening throughout the year and this episode as well. We look forward to a brand new year of many interesting discussions about the diamond market. Have a great holiday season if you haven't had one already. And we'll see you next year. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rathport Diamond Podcast. For more discussions, news, and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us on diamonds.net, follow Rathport Group on Instagram, and follow Rathport on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes.